0: which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash boreyoutosleep that's try better H-E-L-P and join over 500,000 people Taking charge of their mental health. Special offer for Boy to Sleep listeners with 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash bore you to Tonight's readings come from The Origins of Thought and Speech, published in 1905. This book is written by N. Moncam. It looks at how the thought and speech originated in terms of human evolution. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. The podcast is designed to play in the background, while you slowly fall asleep. Thank you to all of the listeners who sent me a message or a review during the week. Thank you to Podbean listener Soph for your lovely review. For iTunes listeners Jan and Bill and Kerbinol, I send you gratitude and thanks for your lovely reviews. And a massive thank you to new Patreon, Olivia. Thank you so much for committing to a monthly payment in support of the show. It is such a lovely gesture and allows me to keep bringing out more episodes. If you do appreciate the podcast, a lovely way to say thank you is to leave a five-star review in your iTunes or podcast app. Even one sentence does help out. And if you do know someone out there who also might need a good night's rest. It would be awesome if you were able to share the podcast with them. If you would like, you can also say hello to me at boyytosleep.com, where you can support the podcast. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, at boyytosleep. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. The Origin of Thought and Speech Introduction When opening my eyes in the morning And whilst still struggling with an inclination to sleep I review the day and what it will have in store for me But the pictures drawn are confused And my will takes no part in it For some time I have been haunted by the impression that the mental faculties of the generality of men have not succeeded in throwing off a species of torpor resembling that of a person hardly awake. The supposition that this torpid condition prevents our minds from attaining that degree of lucidity To which they have a right to aspire, is perhaps a hallucination, yet possibly I may be right in thinking it. How many confused ideas traverse my brain in one day, and how seldom those come of which I follow the thread. We know well that injunction so often given by parents to children and by schoolmasters to their pupils. Try to concentrate your attention. It almost seems as if that which we require of children is beyond my powers, for I have hardly resolved to disentangle a problem of whatever kind when, under the form of useless, futile, inept thoughts, obstacles heap themselves across my path. When a person has to be awakened, who is disinclined to be disturbed, he is violently shaken. What movement would suffice to energize a man whose mental powers were drowsy? I do not see anything from outside the wall, and a personal effort could not be looked for from an inverted will, and yet I am possessed by the desire to penetrate the mystery of my existence. I ask myself what I am, and why I am on this earth. From the moment that I put this question to myself, I feel that the awakening may be possible for me. I know two classes of men who never asked it. First, those who do not see that there is any problem to solve. And secondly, those who are content with infantine and superficial teaching or more or less elaborate and learned, but come from one who appears to himself to be the depository of a collection of supernaturally inspired truths. I own that I do not belong to the first of these divisions, since I shall have no rest as long as I am ignorant of what passes in me and around me. Neither do I belong to the second of these classes, since those who compose it are content to believe. But faith is not knowledge, and I am anxious to comprehend what has been discovered, known, and established by evidence. But how shall I submit to this labor of research when the habitual condition of my thoughts is to wander at will amongst my impressions and when I am so incurably absent-minded? We live in an atmosphere of many and varied ideas. Ideas true and false, good and bad, they pulsate in the air we breathe. They are like the winged anthral seeds which are lifted up by the slightest breeze of autumn and carried afar. They are little heeded, but should it happen, that these seeds attached themselves to our garments, we should notice how strikingly the one form varied from the other. Amongst those ideas which wonder, at large is this aphorism, that we are ignorant of that of which we know, not the commencement, or in other words, of that, which we do not examine from the practical point of view. He who wishes to learn how something is made, whatever it may be, must know how to begin it. This truth has so ancient a date that we cannot conceive of a time when it was absent from the mind of man only it had the common lot of all truths, which we are so familiar, that apparently there is nothing to learn from them, and this aphorism appears at first sight, to be the ramblings which we hear, but to which we do not listen. To me, it is a value, as it strengthens my conviction that the mist which obscures my vision will not be dissipated until I have traced certain problems to their source. I know by experience that few phenomena are easy of explanation when their appearances only are examined at any given moment, and close questioning Fails to elicit light, whilst ignorance prevails concerning their beginning. How does it happen that in spite of such unfavorable circumstances, often with no clear purpose, and with eyes half shut, humanity can advance for the progress? is indubitable. The public conscience has developed, and its actions make themselves felt. Civilized nations have become more humane. They understand better than they formerly that peace is more profitable than war. Certain social problems are being seriously discussed and some are on the point of solution, in the physical sciences as well as in the mechanical arts progress is most marked, but I see that though imagination, observation and a talent for invention have had much to do with this progress, the capacity of imitation has also been a powerful factor. When William Herschel gave up music for astronomy, he perfected the optical instruments which were in use at the time and manufactured some excellent telescopes at comparatively moderate prices with the result that his fellow astronomers and their successors were able to devote themselves to the study of the heavens with greater ease and readiness. Again, at one of the national exhibitions of our time, there was shown to all comers the model of a recently invented apparatus for the conveyance of the wounded on battlefields, since which each country now produces its own design, with various improvements, and the victims of the barbarism still lingering in war were benefited by these modern appliances due entirely to the art of imitation. In short, progress exists, but not all along the line. As thought travels slowly in its domain, so mental science is behind hand. A true idea is not mechanically reproduced. It must be tended for to bear fruit. But what tendance would avail if it is only with difficulty that we discriminate between what we already know and what we do not yet know for this distinction must accompany conscious progress everything around us tends to keep us in this penumbra which is so favorable to inertia ignorance sleep certain groups of philosophical ideas become condensed and systematized. In some systems, there are one or two great thoughts only. This suffices. These systems remain, germinate and direct contemporaneous generations as well as those of the future. It may also happen that these same ideas invade brains little prepared to receive them and thus deviate from their course err as they advance and end by becoming the travestied that it is no longer possible to know what they were at their origin a swerving movement has taken place, which causes suffering to contemporaries and still more to those who come after. Thus the bulk increases, the bulk of truth and the bulk of error, and this fatal expansion of the truth and the false intertwined the one with the other, pursues its encroaching and troublous way. This confusion is something impersonal. It is an opaque body which interposes itself between the truth and ourselves and prevents us from contemplating it but the confusion may also arise directly from those whose mission it is to guide us. I open a book written by some grave thinker who, I imagine, knows his subject thoroughly and I begin to read in all confidence. At first, I think I understand him Then I am stopped by a word, and I wonder what meaning the author has attached to it. A little further, I come upon the same word, which now seems invested with another signification. This disconcerts me, and I close the book. I take another but the same disagreeable surprise awaits me, and I find everywhere terms whose meaning varies to suit the convenience of the author, and what we are to understand by these words is nowhere explained. These defects arise probably from the fact that certain philosophers taking their confused opinions for new ideas seek for words in which to express them and not finding them in their vocabulary they coin them using terms to which no precise meaning is attached which terms remain more or less enigmatical to the authors themselves and, consequently, unintelligible to the readers. In this way, does the confusion of ideas arise and is propagated. A philosopher, I think, it was Haman, made the following very true and very alarming statement. Language is not only the basis of our power of thought, but also the point from which our misunderstandings and errors spring. And Hobbes also says, It is obvious that truth and falsehood dwell only with those living creatures who have the use of free speech. But all that I have just said indicates merely a superficial portion ...of my passing impressions, in going below the surface, I find it in the past are the causes, for our present perturbation of mind. For centuries we have frequented schools in order to learn to distinguish truth from error, yet it is always a mixture of truth and error that we are taught... What result had we attained on the eve of the 20th century? We are still asking ourselves whether science does or does not harmonize with religion. After that, we cannot but give up ourselves to the deepest despondency. We cannot but fold our arms in despair and question whether we shall ever see things clearly. Amongst our ancestors, there were sometimes found men of great resolution who, in order to punish themselves for cowardice and luxury, administered discipline to themselves. The idea is not so extravagant as it appears to some people. A few good strokes of the whip might result in reviving or strengthening the will, and in forcing it to resist the moral soupiness which is so apt to increase. But physical discipline is no longer in use amongst us, and in my own case I have substituted an illustration of which I try never to lose sight. I picture to myself an ideal potter, whose whole ambition would be to make good vessels, and having succeeded in making some of great solidity, he would choose out those of the finest shape for the market. He attained success and his thoughts being occupied with his pottery only, at last he makes vases of absolute perfection. With what feelings of envy I contemplate, this creature of my imagination, who is to serve as my model, and yet whom the want of concentration of thought prevents me from imitating. It would have been perhaps prudent on my part to follow the example of this workman and to accustom myself to reflect on subjects less immeasurably above me than those which have such a powerful attraction for me. But I yield to the impulse once given I often lose myself when pondering on the world where destiny has placed me, and I ask myself how did life first appear on the earth, was there nothing but a cellule from whence all the fill space came, was there one cellule for the vegetables and another for the animals, If man did not spring from the cradle of all things that live and grow on the surface of the globe, was he an individual of his own species at the beginning, or two individuals, or many? After what fashion did man speak at his first appearance? What were his thoughts? How can it be explained? I asked myself again that of all the members of the animal kingdom one only should have marveled at and pondered on his position with regard to the universe and himself. That one should only have manifested the desire to understand his role in life whilst all the creatures that surrounded him lived contentedly in blissful ignorance. It would be impossible to conceive of a horse, an elephant, or a mammoth disquieting itself, concerning its origins and the end of its being. Why has man only sought a solution of these problems? The learned scholars who occupy themselves with these questions are far from agreeing unanimously concerning them. Thus I, I who am only one link in the interminable chain of units which composes humanity, past, present and future, I, in my own individuality, must live and die in my ignorance I revolt against this prospect, which I yet recognize as enviable, I refuse to acknowledge myself beaten, and I feel myself irresistibly driven to seek for more knowledge, then feeling unable to supply the lack, I cease to be anxious and fall asleep again. Sometimes when led to investigate the inner tribunal, conscience, I contemplate a phenomenon, purely intellectual and moral, which the uproar raised by the conflict of, so many heterogeneous ideas cannot make me forget. Although it does not intrude itself upon me with violence, On the contrary, it waits with an unparalleled patience and discretion at my door. It is the phenomenon named religion. We read it in the Bible that Moses, having noticed a burning bush that yet was not consumed, went up to it. The more closely to investigate this marvel, For many people, religion has borne the same aspect that the burning bush did for Moses, and those like Moses have approached it in the endeavor to discover what it could be. Religion has always compelled attention its metaphysical side has been described in voluminous theological and philosophical treatises. Historians on their side have made many researches concerning the forms in which it has clothed itself on earth during a long succession of centuries and amongst many people It is even said there are learned men who have studied all the Bibles and catechisms and it is added that few amongst them know what religion really is. It does not on that account play a less important part in our existence. It is from religion that all those acts of devotion and charity spring to which millions of human creatures give themselves. There are few who ask themselves whence comes this breath, which inspires them so fully, and since when has its influence extended itself amongst us, to be nourished with its fruits sufficed. Such is the disposition of soul, Of the majority of those for whom religion is more than a name, whatsoever it be, pronounced in an unknown tongue, would it not be natural to desire to make its acquaintance more closely? Apparently not. We accept it as something known by intuition, without concerning ourselves with its aspect. This strange fact I have also noticed when studying history very attentively and with an attitude of mind free from all prejudice it is possible to fix the exact period at which errors more or less generally acknowledged as such have first crept into the world. But I have vainly sought in history for the corresponding moment when truths first made their appearance, truths which have accepted, if only by a few isolated individuals, or by certain groups of individuals, of whatever race, or of whatever period of life of humanity they might be. But, as it is acknowledged, that amongst the errors which trouble us, we possess some truths. It is evident that they have manifested themselves, but when and how? At this I do not arrive. The silence of history indicates, I think, that the truths of which we seek the commencement have been revealed to men in prehistoric days. I do not feel that I know positively concerning the first human beings who appeared on the earth. I picture them like soft wax, ready to receive a definite form from the hand which created them. These first comers who knew nothing never having had any training, and possessing only their five senses to aid them in arriving at knowledge, were infinitely better placed than I am to embrace truth, since I should have to disentangle myself from a vast mass of ideas which disfigure the natural simplicity of my soul. I should have to forget even the truths which I believed myself to possess and to transform myself into white plastic blank wax with no impress whatsoever and to wait until my creator traced the image he wished. This is now not possible. I should not be now here If I could have been contemporaneous with my ancestors and I have been permitted to follow in the steps of their pilgrimage, this would have pleased me well. I perceive my friends are uneasy. Take care, they say. But it is quite certain that it is not always harmful. Have they never seen a man wandering in a forest without any fixed determination to quit it? Is it credible that our first parents had no fixed idea of discovering the import towards themselves, of the vast world in which they had been placed, knowing nothing of the reasons of their position? equally ignorant of the reason why the sun, the moon, fire, hurricanes, storms, thunder, rivers, mountains existed, always above and around them, the whole of nature itself required to be interrogated. Must we feel that we are destined to ask perpetually and to receive no answer. That need not be. Many things that our ancestors could not fathom are clear to us. What was unknown to them is known to us. That which prevents us from following up this line of progress through these phases in that each reply brings forth a new fresh questions and thus it will not be to the end, if the end should ever arrive. This last question we do not put to ourselves, which is an indication that we are not careful to arrive at the answer. When I compare the present state of our knowledge and of our condition of mind, to which I have given the epithets of tufo and inertia, and they are rightly given to that which held sway in the dark ages when the earth rested on an elephant, the elephant on a tortoise, and the tortoise swam in the void, I must acknowledge that we now see things more truly. But to start from the point of the sum of our acquired knowledge in this march of progress would be fatal to us. The ground we have won will only retain its solidity in proportion as we keep in sight the path we have trodden. With all its encountered and vanquished obstacles, and that will only be by pursuing the same path in company with our ancestors. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this story, and I hope you're feeling drowsy. If you're not quite tired yet, you're always welcome to listen to another episode of the Boy to Sleep podcast. In the meantime... I'll be working on bringing you another episode very soon. Until then, good night.